All right, so we will be reading from John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as, as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard, they heard, that they heard he had done the sign. This, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come into your presence tonight as we do every week. We just, we're coming from all over the place. Lord, we are so frail. Um, some of us are, are so afraid right now. Some of us are so anxious. Some of us are so busy that our, our minds have not stopped spinning yet to see where we are. And um, Lord, so we just, we just stop. And we just ask you to come and, and allow us to take a couple deep breaths and to be fully present here if we're not yet. And uh, Lord, we, we trust you and we thank you in advance for keeping your promise to us to uh, not allow us to leave unchanged. Lord, that you use your word, you use the gathering of your people, you use your Holy Spirit to, to change us and to transform us and to set us free and to continue to do your good work that you, you promise us you will bring to completion. So we ask that you do this now. Uh, make much of yourself, Jesus. Um, we ask this in your name, amen. Uh, so I don't know about y'all, if you've been keeping up with basketball, anybody March Madness fans? Woo. Uh, I love March Madness, but I was thinking this week, like, it's really, it makes you a weirdo. Because if you're, if you're into it and you filled out a bracket, uh, it, it has you doing really, first of all, it's like when I fill out a bracket, I do all this research. Everybody's got kind of their own way that they do their bracket research. But at the end of my bracket research, I actually walk around like I'm holding like what's going to happen. And it's like when people disagree with me, I'm like, oh, well, you didn't see that one coming. And then it's like, but every year, like I never get it right. But it, every year it doesn't stop me from having the arrogance of my, my bracket at the front end. Um, and, it, and it has you doing weird things like um, pulling really hard for teams that you've never even heard of and one week and then the next week you're pulling really hard against them so that, so that you can have your way. And, uh, and the Lord was like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking to you about in this passage. Um, because we are, we are like this, not only with our brackets, but in much more serious things of life, uh, maybe more so than we would care to admit. And so that's, that's where Jesus is coming to us tonight, and that's what he's talking to us about. Um, and, and so as, as was said before, this is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, uh, and so we're just gonna jump in. So this is Passover week. Uh, it's the biggest of three annual festivals for God's people where everybody, all the Jews come to Jerusalem. So think about something like uh, a music festival like Bonnaroo, where it's like the whole town like is, is revolves around like what's happening this week. Like everybody there selling stuff, everybody there, you know, just whatever you need. And, and, and just the place is flooded. And, um, 
Scholars, historians say that this is probably over 2 million people are in Jerusalem at this time. And so they're there to celebrate uh, what, what for them is, is Passover is the birth of their nation. Um, this is, if, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, um, Passover is a celebration of, of God freeing his people from Egyptian slavery, calling them out uh, miraculously from Egyptian slavery to make them a people. And the way that he did that, the last thing that he did was um, he killed all of the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but he spared all the firstborn of his people. And he did so by telling his people to take a Passover lamb and use the blood of that lamb and cover over the door frame. And, and this destroying angel who went through all of Egypt and killed all of the firstborn of the Egyptians would spare any firstborn of any house that had the blood on the doorposts. And so that's this celebration. And so what's happening here is um, Jesus is coming into, uh, he's in Bethany, which is a town like two miles away from Jerusalem. And what he's doing there is he's with his friends and they're having a feast in his honor at these people's house, these sisters, Mary and Martha. And the reason they're having this feast is because Jesus has raised their brother from the dead. And he did this in a very public way. Um, Lazarus had died and had been dead for four days. And Jesus in front of a watching crowd walks out to where the, the open tomb is and yells, for a four-day-old corpse to come out. And guess what? He does. And Lazarus comes out. And everyone who is there sees this and, and recognizes this teacher, this man, Jesus, who now is, is getting some acclaim as a miracle worker, he has just kicked it up a notch. And now we have all seen with our eyes that he has power over death, not just sickness, but over death. And so there is like a fever pitch uh, for Jesus here. Um, he is the flavor of the week. And these people hear that he's back in Bethany to have this celebration. So this huge crowd goes out to Bethany to see him. And then people in Jerusalem catch wind that the next day, which is our passage, he is coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so now you have like this, it's like two storm fronts. It's like this, this sea of people just, you know, it's like hype men going in front of him, just yelling out and testifying that he raised a man from the dead, just screaming this as they make that two mile journey into Jerusalem. And then people who have heard and gone into Jerusalem before are telling him that this guy's coming. And so now people People are screaming it from Jerusalem and they're coming out to meet him and they're ripping palm branches off of trees, which is weird to us. I mean, why do you do that? But to them, uh, a palm branch was symbolic. Uh, this was what you did. Uh, it was a sign of triumph. This is what you do at a royal processional, a victory celebration, a victory processional when you've defeated a military enemy and you come back triumphant, um, everyone waves palm branches. And so that's what's happening. And you've got Jesus and just this fever pitch of a crowd and they're all there expecting great things because they're living under the oppression of the Roman empire and they're tired of it. And they've been reading all of these, all of these prophets, all of God's prophets. And a prophet is just somebody that God spoke to to speak his word to his people. And so they have hundreds of years of God's recorded prophets saying that he is gonna bring salvation. He's gonna free them from all their oppressors. He's gonna make everything right. He's gonna bring flourishing. He's gonna bring peace. And he's gonna, most importantly, he is gonna defeat these enemies soundly and forever. And so people are hearing, okay, Jesus has power over the dead. He's clearly a man of God. He clearly comes from God. 
This is the coming king. This is the one that all the prophets have written about. This is the one that God has been telling us about for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so this crowd that's at a fever pitch is now waving these palm branches and singing Psalm 118. And they're singing a passage from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was a psalm that was sung at Passover pretty regularly. It was a psalm that they would all know. But they are, they are zoning in on these couple verses. And it says this, Hosanna, which means save us now. The word, that, that word or phrase, Hosanna, means save us now. And so they're yelling, they're singing, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, I want to note that they, they added even the king of Israel. That is not in the psalm, if you go back and look at Psalm 118. And it's interesting, and it's worth noting that, because um, these people assume that they know what Jesus is here to do. So they're putting the pieces together, and they've decided for themselves, we know exactly who this is, we know exactly what he's here to do, and we know exactly how he's going to do it. And so they are singing his praises. He is, he is the one that they picked to win the tournament. And so they are waiting for him to march all the way through to the final four and raise the banner. This is the Jesus. This is the one, the coming king, who is gonna come and free them from this oppressive Roman empire that they are subject to. And so these people, we are like these people. We are like these people in that um, oftentimes we think we know what we need the most. And so we have a lot of assumptions about what Jesus is gonna do. And we read, we read promises of God and we, we make a lot of assumptions and, and mold those promises into what we wanna see happen in our lives to fit with, with our agenda. And so like this crowd, I don't often wanna hear from Jesus about what he came to do. I just want him to fulfill the expectations that I've put on him. And I hold him hostage with my expectations. I say like, this is painful. And if you really loved me, you would do something about this. If you're the son of God, if you're my savior, if you really love me, if you have power, then you would do this. You would make this go away. We want salvation from Jesus on our own terms, but he came to bring a better salvation. He came to bring a superior salvation. So now, now we look at Jesus, and, and now there's this, this uh, call, this fear not, people of God, your king is here, and he's riding on a war horse? No, he's riding on a baby donkey. That's not very kingly. He is here riding on a baby donkey, and, and it's, it reminded me of my JV basketball uniforms. Um, nobody cared about the JV basketball team where I went to school. And so we got them out of these boxes every year. And there were these polyester uniforms from the 80s uh, that were dangerously short. And so there's just a whole lot of very white upper thigh. And it's hard to be intimidating when you're wearing those basketball shorts and you look like me. And that's, that's what's kind of going on here is, is Jesus is this, this coming king who's gonna conquer all nations, not just the Romans. He's gonna conquer everybody. And he's riding on a baby donkey. Why is he riding on a baby donkey? Where's the flash? Where's the war horse? And the disciples didn't even understand. These people who've been with Jesus and heard his teaching for three years straight and lived with him and asked him all sorts of questions. And, and if you read, it's hilarious because he answers those questions and then they still don't understand. 
and they don't remember what he said, but they have no idea what's going on. But Jesus always moves with purpose. Jesus always moves with purpose in human history, and Jesus always moves with purpose in, in your life. And so Jesus here is moving in purpose. He procures a baby donkey to fulfill another prophecy about this coming king. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, which I think that's really great that they're very clear. Zechariah is very clear and precise that this will be a young donkey. <laughs> he is on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Just want to make sure you all understand that. Jesus is uh, here pictured portraying himself as the king of a gentle kingdom. Uh, there will be no destroying of the Roman Empire today. Why? Because a warhorse king can't accomplish the true salvation that Jesus came to bring to his people. Our condition is much worse uh, even than an oppressive foreign government. Um, it, it's the evil that lives within our hearts. It's this problem that we've had since the beginning of human history, uh, since what's called the fall, um, when Adam and Eve first walked away from God and sinned, and now it's like a disease that's spread throughout all humanity, and it's in all of us. And so even if, even if Jesus had, had rescued them from the, the Roman Empire, um, he wouldn't have been able to bring a kingdom of peace because of what's inside of, of every one of his people. And, uh, and if you think you're excluded from this, I want you to just really listen and understand what's happening here. A lot of times people will say, if, if only I'd been alive when Jesus walked the earth and I saw him do these miracles and I was able to talk to him and see for myself, then I would have no problem believing. I would have no problem laying everything down, laying all my plans down and following him. Well, this, you're wrong. Uh, and this passage is proof that you're wrong. And what do I mean by that? Um, these people literally watched Jesus, the king of peace, the king of righteousness, wield power over death, over a four-day-old corpse to bring him back to life because he loved that man and because he was trying to bring glory to God and said, this is who God is. This is what God is like. This is how God uses his power. And all of these people saw that. They saw it with their own eyes. They were right there. And five days later, five days after this, they're all yelling at the top of their lungs, full of rage, crucify him. So there's not a soul who is in this room who would have an easier time believing and following Jesus if we were alive when he was walking the earth. We all have the same problem. That's how desperate this condition is, is it makes you crazy, it makes you evil, it makes you do and say things like this. When they, when they yell Hosanna, when, they, when people yell, save us now, that can be a plea for mercy, but that can also be a threat. Save us now or else. Um, any Ted Lasso fans out there? That's like quickly become one of my very favorite shows of all time. But if you're not familiar, just brief synopsis, Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis is uh, an American like D2 college football coach that gets hired by a premier, premier league team in, in the UK to uh, basically 
the, the wife, a scorned wife uh, of a divorce is now the owner of the team and she's trying to tank it. And so she brings this guy in who knows nothing about soccer to basically destroy the team. But what we find out, uh, everybody hates Ted Lasso when he, when he lands on the scene. Um, everybody hates him, they despise him, they think he's a fool, they, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, he's not the coach that they want, but he is the coach that they need. And you see as, as this, this story unfolds across the, the first season of the show, um, that Ted Lasso is there in love. He is there continuing to move toward people who don't understand him, continuing to move toward people who think that he is a moron, who are despising everything about him, uh, moving toward them in love with a purpose for their good. And one of my favorite scenes of the first season is when he's playing darts with Rupert. He's, he's playing darts with the, this guy who's like this evil, he's the, the ex-husband of the uh, team's owner, and when he's playing darts with him, he says, you know, all through my, all my life, people belittled me. And he said, those guys that used to belittle me, not a single one of them was curious. Because if they were curious, they would have asked questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? To which I would have answered, yes, sir. And if we were curious, we would have asked questions like, Jesus, do you know what you're doing when it comes to salvation? And he would have said, yes, sir. I do, I know exactly what I'm doing. And this is exactly the salvation that you need. But nobody's curious. Nobody's asking those questions. Nobody's really trusted in him. Everybody's just expecting him to do what we want him to do. But Jesus has done the work to save us from our gravest enemies. Our sin, our death, he's reconciled us to God. We used to be enemies and now we're sons and daughters of God through him. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's always working in our lives, and, and this is what's so encouraging. He is always walking down this road. He is always on this death and victory march together in our lives, even when we don't understand and even when we are actively fighting against him. That is who Jesus is. That is how amazing his love for you is, is that even when we are fighting him every step of the way, he is laying himself down out of love for us to save us from our greatest enemies. And no amount of understanding on our part, misunderstanding and no amount of, of wickedness on our part um, can stop him from walking that road because he loves you, because it doesn't depend on how you feel about him. It depends on how he feels about you and what he has committed and decided to do on your and my behalf. That is the savior who we worship. That is this Jesus who we worship. Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still weak, while we were sinners, while we didn't understand, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It was all there all along, but nobody could see it. Because listen to this, the Zechariah prophecy, it goes on to say, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. And this blood was the blood of Jesus. He wasn't coming to destroy the Roman Empire, he was coming to bleed out so that his blood could set all of us free from the prison of sin and death and fear. We don't have to be afraid of God's wrath anymore because there is none. It was poured out on Jesus. So those of us who are in Christ are free and God is our Father. Psalm 118, the psalm that they were singing, Hosanna, it goes on to say that, that this is the gate of the Lord, this man's body. This Jesus is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. You, Lord, have become my salvation. 
This is the true Passover lamb whose blood takes away my sins, whose blood covers me from the wrath of God. This is a superior salvation. And in securing a superior salvation on his terms, Jesus has also ushered in and guaranteed a superior victory celebration. Uh, the last, last verse of our passage is Jesus's political enemies, the Pharisees. They, they were very frustrated with Jesus because they had a plan of how they were gonna stay in power and they were gonna amass more power and they were gonna defeat the Roman government and be on top. And, uh, and now Jesus shows up and he's kind of throwing all their plans out of whack. And so they're sitting here watching this procession. They're watching these probably over a million people just screaming and waving their palm fronds and singing. And, and I just think it's hilarious. It says that they, they say to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And when they say that, what they're saying, they don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand how true what they're saying is because what they're saying is just an exaggeration out of frustration. Look at all the people here for Passover have gone out to him, the whole world, everybody. What they don't understand is, no, this coming king is not just the king of Israel, he's the king of all creation and the whole world is going out to him and nobody can stop him. Nobody can stop that from happening. This is amazing, this passage from Revelation 7. This is about the royal victory processional that we all want now that's coming in the future that Jesus has secured for us. Starting in verse nine, it says this. After this, I looked and behold, this is, this is John, this is the apostle John. Uh, God has given him a vision of what's to come and, and that's what revelation is. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all, every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb because he recognized what these people couldn't see at the time. That this is the Passover lamb. That's what this, this is a death victory march and this Passover lamb is going to die and secure victory for us over all of our enemies. They were standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes. All of our sin is taken away. And this is us, by the way. Those, those of us who are in Christ, this is about us. And with palm branches in their hands, because this is the time to celebrate the victory. With palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Not salvation belongs to whoever shows up and looks powerful and I'm so fickle and I'll just put my weight behind whoever looks like they're gonna give me what I want. No, salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to the living God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, a lot of crazy stuff that we don't have time to get into. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So what does this mean for us, Midtown West? This means that um, our days of frenzied, anxious, looking for a savior to save us from our circumstances under every rock that we can pick up and look under, those days are over. You have a savior. He is alive, he's not dead. He has secured for you the victory 
the triumphant victory march and celebration for all time. And not only that, but he is actively working for you now in your life, in this world. He is bringing you to full maturity in him. He is continuing to set you free. He has set you free and he is continuing to set you free in real time from your greatest enemies. So now we can just rest in him. We can listen to him alone. We can worship him alone. And it doesn't make life easy, but it makes life really simple. It also means um, that we can know for sure now, if we have any question, that we will not understand all the ways in which Jesus is working in our lives. We will not. And there will be times when we, like this crowd, are gonna say, if you really love me, I, then I know that you're here to change this circumstance. I know that you're here to make me more this way and less this way. Now, guess what? We're, we're free from that too. And now we can just open our hands and say, Jesus, you, you are the savior. And now I'm free to just follow you. I don't need to understand. Think about that. I, I don't know about y'all, the way I'm wired, freedom from having to understand everything is a great freedom for me. And to be able to live in that, the Lord is just continuing to teach me more and more how to live in that freedom that is, is mine already. It's just a matter of learning how to live into it. And lastly, um, this means that we can move with our Jesus, like our Jesus, out into the world, into lives of specific men and women and children who do not know him. And we can move in love toward them and it can have nothing to do with their understanding or their opinion of us. It has everything to do with the way that we've decided to love them with the love of Christ. And we, like Jesus, can move out and lay our lives down for, for the purpose of setting people free. How amazing is that? And so that, that is a, a, a huge thing that we're gonna get to do together over the years as Midtown West, is this community, we are gonna learn more and more how to do that. And we're gonna celebrate more and more as we see men and women come into this room, have no idea who Jesus is, have no idea what this is all about and think this is so weird. And we're gonna watch them as, as he transforms their lives in our presence. We're gonna have a front row seat for that. And then guess what? We're gonna want more. And guess what? He's gonna use those people. And, and we are gonna watch him. This, is, this community is a machine of joy and freedom and peace in Nashville. And who doesn't wanna be a part of that? Y'all, life is short. Like the stuff that I live for most of the time is so boring, it's so silly. Um, and Jesus has said, you know, I've come to set you free so that you can be on adventure with me and really live life. And, and, and he's teaching us how to do it. Father, uh, Hosanna, Lord, you, you save us, you have saved us, you are saving us, you will save us, and we will worship you forever. We will be in your kingdom of peace and righteousness and goodness for all time, where all of our heart's desires we fully met in you. Lord, we, we worship you, we thank you for that. Lord, would you please um, continue to save us from ourselves, continue to deepen our faith and trust in you, and lead us uh, as we follow you into the lives of the people around us for your good, for their good, for their good and for 
your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.